The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Today on our show, we are going to discuss The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead is more than just your average zombie show or, or comic. What do you think makes the people connect with the idea of a post-apocalyptic world so strongly as they do with The Walking Dead? I think that's a great question. I think it's really not about the zombies. The show is about the survivors. And I think that for many people watching the show or reading the comics, it's realizing that in this post-apocalyptic world, people have survived the worst kind of trauma, endured the most kind of pain, and they're still able to survive and keep going. And even though it might seem strange, I think that for at least some of the people who are watching it or reading it, The Walking Dead inspires hope because it shows that we can survive the most horrific things imaginable and we might still be able to find a way to keep going. We might still find a way to find ourselves and find something to live for. I mean, you brought up hope in a world that is this bleak and miserable. What would you say to a person struggling and how would you provide them with a sense of hope? I think it's about reminding what are our reasons to live, right? Just a quick spoiler warning. We we will be giving out some spoilers here. So if you have not been caught up with Walking Dead, you, you may want to come back when you're caught up. But for someone like Rick, for example, when he first lost Lori, it felt as if he had no hope. But then he was reminded that he has his children to live for. And in this season, he lost his son, Carl. And he still has his daughter. He has his daughter, Judith, to live for. He still has his friends to live for. He still has his people to lead. And I think that it's finding a reason to be alive. It's finding the people that are depending on you or finding that purpose that you stand for that ultimately can allow you to come back. In season two, we saw Rick not only go through severe trauma, but we saw him nearly giving up hope. And yet it was when Laurie was able to remind him about their newborn daughter that Rick was able to snap out of it and come back to his group. I think that was season three. I think you're right, season three. Um, But Rick was able to snap out of it and come back and and support his group and hold his daughter for the very first time. And it it was holding Judith that I think allowed him to remember what he still has to live for. 
I mean, there's no doubt that it's, it really explores the emotional dynamic of human compassion, resilience, and frailty. It's a common theme going back. Um, in a world like this one, what makes it so easy for some humans to blur the line between the living and the undead? Well, I think that there's no law and order anymore, right? There's no strict guidelines anymore. The only thing people are trying to do is survive. Now, you put somebody in constant survival mode and many people are likely to snap. That's why people like hospital workers, for example, are not allowed to work more than a certain amount of time, right? People who are working without rest and, and are constantly going, going, going without any kind of break and are constantly in survival mode are likely to make decisions that might not be very healthy for themselves or for others. In this world where zombies, walkers, right, have, mm -hmm. have taken over and where anybody who dies, your, your loved ones, you can see being reanimated into these horrific creatures. In this world, it's hard to find the clear guidelines about how to survive. And I think the only thing people are looking out for are themselves and the people that are closest to them. And sometimes that might mean that they will hurt people who they don't know very well because it's kill or be killed. I was thinking, how many of you do I have to kill to save your lives? But I'm not going to do that. You're going to change. I'm not sorry for what I said last night. I'm sorry for not saying it sooner. You're not ready. But you have to be right now you have to be it's kind of like a war zone but with essentially no rules like when the u.s military for example goes into another country and if, the, if there's a war going on there is a set of rules that they have to follow like the rules of engagement for example which for service members means that they don't attack unless they're attacked but in this world in the post-apocalyptic world there are no rules of engagement it's just survival so when there are no rules when the only thing people are concerned with constantly is survival from death and survival from hunger and survival from disease then i think all rules are going to go out the window and then we're going to see a lot more evil and and backstabbing and a lot more people committing crimes that they might not otherwise in the civilian world when i was a kid I asked my grandpa once if he ever killed any Germans in the war. He wouldn't answer. He said that was grown-up stuff, so... So I asked if the Germans ever tried to kill him. But he got real quiet. said he was dead the minute he stepped into enemy territory. Every day he woke up, told himself, rest in peace, now get up and go to war. And then after a few years of pretending he was dead, he made it out alive. That's the trick of it, I think. We do what we need to do, and then we get to live. 
But no matter what we find at DC, I know we'll be okay. Because this is how we survive. We tell ourselves that we are the walking dead. I personally find some of the survivors to be more monstrous than zombies are. At least zombies have this undeniable excuse for their psychopathic behavior. And they're predictable. Yeah. (laughs) But what does this comparison that I just said say about how our fears can manipulate our behavior? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I think that a lot of times, under perfect circumstances, we might act exactly as we want to. But when we are pushed to our limit, when we're constantly sleep deprived and food deprived and constantly in danger and I imagine traumatized, having multiple losses, we're likely to not react to our best. And when we're terrified, either for our lives or for the lives of other people, some people might engage in behaviors that they never otherwise would, right? Whether it's to hurt other people, whether it's to kill other people. And we're really seeing some examples of that here. This series has so many dynamic layers of what I'd call morality. Well, I mean, it is morality. In this world, whatever is done, no matter how bad it is, as long as it's done for survival and safety, it can be morally justified for the better good. For instance, and we're going to go way back on this one to probably season two-ish or whatever, but when uh, Shane sacrificed Otis to bring back the supplies to the group, it could be argued that his actions helped save Carl's life and essentially helped the group as a whole. But, I mean, he still straight up killed a dude <laughs> to, 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 to get it there. I mean, can you discuss morality as it pertains to this series and, and with examples like this? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, and I think we're, we see that with some other people as well. We see that with the governor too, right? There are a lot of characters on the show, like the governor or, or Negan or other characters who are... I mean, flat out villains, but at the same time are to themselves anyway, morally justified because certainly someone like the governor believed that he was doing everything to protect his people, that the kind of stringent law and order he was laying down was important to protect his people. Um, But it got in his head enough to where he wipes his own people out. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing is that ultimately that kind of system is not going to work in in a situation like that. I think that for some individuals, having repeated stress, such as the one that the survivors here are going through, is likely to affect their morality. I mean, again, people have to kill their spouses and their children if they're reanimated. I can't even imagine what that does for somebody. The governor kept his daughter alive, even though she was reanimated, refusing to put her out and I mean, I could only imagine how painful it was for him seeing his child every day in the condition that she was in. And I think that for a lot of people going through that, seeing their significant others in that state and fighting to survive and, and, and fighting to protect other people can, can really offset their morality as we know it today. I think it's really hard to judge. It's, it's hard to say what we ourselves would act like if we were in a situation like it. 
uh, people coming back from the war, and again, war situation is very different from post-apocalyptic zombie situation, but people coming back from the war say that it's a very different environment, obviously, and that there are decisions that they have to make out there that they don't make in civilian world, and that's why going back and forth adjustment periods are so difficult. You were talking about, like, villains, and I'm going to go bad people, and I'm air-quoting bad, because, I mean, obviously, the governor's a a villain. He drew the line on that when he started killing his own people and stuff. Yes. Whether it's Shane or the governor or Negan, again, we go back to circumstance and environments and survival. And it seems to be that that is the scale for moral justification. It's interesting that you say that in our current civilian world, it's it's easy to draw the lines, right? It's easy to see if someone's a good person or a bad person because we have a set of morals we have a set of laws that people have to follow and if you do this like if you kill people or rape people then you're clearly a bad person i mean personally i think anyone who sexually assaults somebody is a bad person no matter the circumstances but in this post-apocalyptic world killing people is at least somewhat justified when to that individual, it's for their own survival or for the group's survival. And I think that what makes certain characters, especially someone like the governor, so interesting is that to themselves, they believe that they're doing things for the common good. All the villains that we see have their own set of morals that they themselves follow. Like Negan, for example, is very strict about um, sexual assault, especially in the comics, right? Right, yeah. He does not tolerate rape at all. In the show, too, he'll just straight up kill this person. He will not tolerate anybody raping somebody. In fact, he has like a harem of women, right? Or wives, he he wants to call them. (laughs) And basically, they got to want to be with him. He, He doesn't force them. I think that most of the characters that we're seeing to themselves are not villains. I I think if you were to interview them, they would tell you that all the actions that they're taking are to protect other people. Even Shane, uh, when he attacked Rick, he, I believe that Shane thought he was protecting Lori, that he would be a better match for Lori than Rick. Rick was weak and wouldn't protect Carl. In fact, they had that conversation where, and Rick was like, what, you don't think I can protect my own son? Yep. And and Shane also believed that he would be a better leader than Rick. When Rick came back, Shane lost everything. Shane started having a family, right? Because he was having this affair with Lori and felt like a father figure to Carl. And he was the leader of the group. When Rick came back, all of that changed. And it if I think if you were to interview Shane, he would tell you that everything he did, including trying to kill Rick, was for the good of Lori and Carl and everybody else. I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Shane saved Rick. He took care of his family. Hero son, spoken of in song and legend. You and me, Shane and Carl. You gotta bring this piece of garbage. This piece of garbage. He shot at you, Rick. He ran with men who tried to kill you. You gotta bring him back to where Lori sleeps? To where Carl sleeps? That boy would be dead if I hadn't put my ass on the line. You don't think I would have done it? No, man, I know you wouldn't. You don't think I could keep Lori or Carl safe? You don't know shit anymore. You can do it, man. It's my call, man. I think you can keep them safe. What happened, Rick? I thought you weren't the good guy anymore. Ain't that what you said? 
Even right here, right now, you ain't gonna fight for him. I'm a better father than you, Rick. And Shane also protected Rick in the hospital. That's what I'm saying. He saved him. He was a good man, air quotes too, you know what I mean? It's like things can change you. Absolutely. So it seems that trauma is rampant in this series. Can you talk about some of the characters who might be suffering the most? Sure. I think we see all characters going through it at one point or another. As far as certain criteria for clinical diagnoses, I think it was in season three after Lori dies that Rick goes through uh, what are symptoms of uh, acute stress disorder, I believe. So acute stress disorder, for those of you who don't know what it is, is basically symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder that do not meet the full criteria for PTSD because of duration. So in order to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, that individual has to have symptoms for over one month. So for Rick, I don't believe his symptoms lasted over a month, uh, at least the ones that I'm going to refer to now. So after Lori dies, Rick goes through, I believe it was a couple of days of nightmares and flashbacks and hallucinations. So a lot of people don't know this, but first of all, not everybody who's exposed to trauma develops PTSD. Only a small percentage do, about 10, maybe 20% of people who were exposed to trauma develop PTSD. The rest of the people recover naturally. And about 8 to 10% of people who develop PTSD might also have hallucinations or other psychotic symptoms. So for Rick, he starts seeing Lori. He is having auditory hallucinations where he's talking to people on the phone, people that have died, all the people that he feels guilty about not being able to protect. How did you know my name? Because we know you. How do you know me? And you know them, Rick. The people you were talking to today, that was Amy, Jim, Jackie. Lori? What ultimately saves him is being able to talk to Lori and her reminding him about their children. I couldn't put it back together. Oh, I made a deal with myself. I would keep you alive. I'd find a place. I would fix that. And then I couldn't open that door. I couldn't risk it. I was going to keep you alive. Carl, baby. And then I thought there'd be time. There's never time. I couldn't put it back together. Rick, I hope you listen to me. Yeah, baby. Out, baby. And Carl. And I think it's when Rick walks into the cell and holds Judith for the first time. That's when he is able to snap out of it. But we see other characters, like Sasha, for example. When the group gets to Alexandria and we see Sasha being extremely overwhelmed by um, the calm environment, by the sound of the silverware on the plates. And these are some of the symptoms that trauma survivors experience. Now, I don't know if Sasha meets the full criteria of PTSD because we don't see the full effects of it on the show, but we see some of them. We see some 
criteria of trauma. We see certain characters who are either withdrawing or are completely overwhelmed by what's happening to them at one point or another. Carol certainly at multiple points went through not only dissociation and disconnection, but also through a moral injury. Mm -hmm. Um, So moral injury is something that can really contribute to somebody being traumatized. So what that means is where people commit acts that they might not otherwise do that they would consider immoral. And shortly after her very abusive husband died, Carol started discovering herself and and becoming a protector of the group. But a couple of seasons ago, we saw her really struggling with the amount of people that she was killing. And she was really struggling with that very concept with moral injury and wanting to become more peaceful the way that Morgan did. You think you've suffered enough now? No! Probably not. Oh, God. What have you done? Unless you kill me now, I'm not gonna die. You decide. The world doesn't decide. You decide. You don't get to walk away and get what you want. Please, just let me go. It's not your time. You were going to come back from this. So I think in one point or another, just about every single character was affected by the trauma. As far as who meets the full-blown criteria for PTSD, I think that's hard to say because we don't spend enough time with any particular character to fully see that. I think it's fair to say that just about everybody there is affected by trauma in one way or another. Right. I love the example you had about Sasha and everything because that was very interesting to me. And I I took it as kind of maybe a PTSD symptom or in terms to me, maybe a shell shock thing because she was used to what's outside and these people were being extremely naive. She was like, this is what you're worrying about when there's things out there that can kill you and killed people that I love. And what Sasha is experiencing or, or appears to experience there is certainly a trauma symptom. Again, it might not be enough to diagnose her with PTSD, whether or not she meets the full criteria. We just don't know without interviewing her. However, she is an example of what a lot of service members go through when they come back to the civilian world, where people are drastically changed by the war, by by the terrible experiences that they've gone through, by seeing death and violence and being in survival mode 24-7, and then coming to civilian world and seeing people who are completely unaware about some of the dangers that could happen can certainly make the trauma survivor on edge and feel maybe even more unsafe than when they are in combat zone. Yeah. I also want to expand a little bit on Carol because she's got this huge arc as a character. In my opinion, she's this meek, mild housewife who happens to be in an abusive relationship and everything. And then she comes out of this whole situation as the biggest badass just stare at the flowers you know what i mean <laughs> that, oh, that was painful <laughs> she's she's amazing and and really interesting how, how we were talking about how people can change due to their environments and stuff and this person going from 
that extreme to this extreme. It's really interesting to me. I should have been dead several times over. Ain't that the truth for us all? I think part of the reason I'm not is, is because people underestimate me. Don't underestimate me. In a lot of ways, what we saw was post-traumatic growth. After losing her husband, after all the, the trauma that she had experienced, feeling like she couldn't take care of herself, now for the first time she became the protector. She became the guardian, especially to the kids, to Carl and Judith, and to some of the other kids that the group has, um, has gotten along the way. And she was not going to tolerate anybody hurting those kids, including another child hurting those kids. And so for her, it became being the protector by any means necessary so that nobody has to be bullied or hurt or killed or traumatized again. <laughs> Just look at the flowers. <laughs> Just, just look at the flowers. And I think for her, it was her growing out of her shell and becoming, um, becoming strong, finding her own inner strength. But I think after a while, especially when she was given the death count, Mm -hmm. that's when it really hit her and, and that's when she realized that she didn't want to be a killing machine anymore. Another common theme that I see in this series is this idea of redemption and our relationship with what humanity was and could be again for the, the person involved. Whether it's um, Lori telling Carl or Carl telling Rick, there's always a way back to the person you once were. I remember my eighth birthday at the KCC with that giant cake and Aunt Evie showing up on leave, surprising all of us. I remember mom. I remember Codger. I remember school and going to the movies and Friday night pizza and cartoons and grandma and grandpa and church, those summer barbecues and the kiddie pool you got me. Could use that at the prison. You told me about the walks we'd take when I was three. You holding my hand around the neighborhood all the way to Ross's farm. I didn't know that I remembered them, but I do. Because I see the sun and the corn and that cow that walked up to the fence and looked me in the eye. And you told me about all that stuff, but it isn't just that stuff, it's how I felt. Holding your hand, I felt happy and special. I felt safe. I thought growing up was about getting a job and maybe a family, being an adult, but growing up is making yourself and the people you love safe. As safe as you can because things happen. They happened before. You were shot before things went bad. Kind of felt like things went bad because you were shot. I want to make you feel safe, Dad. I want you to feel just like I felt when you held my hand. Just. To feel that way for five minutes, I'd give anything to make you feel that way now. I wanted to kill Negan. I wish I did. Maybe it would have been done. I don't think it's done now. He went out there again, but I don't think they surrendered. I don't think they will surrender. 
There are workers in there, Dad. They're just regular people, old people, young people, families. You don't want them to die, Dad. We're so close to starting everything over, and we have friends now. It's that bigger world Jesus talked about. The kingdom, the hilltop, there's, there's gotta be more places. More people out there, a chance for everything to change and keep changing. Everyone giving everyone the opportunity to have a life, a real life. So if they won't end it, you have to. You have to give them a way out. You have to find peace with Negan. Find a way forward somehow. We don't have to forget what happened, but you can make it so that it won't happen again. That nobody has to live this way, that every life is worth something. Start everything over. Show everyone that they can be safe again without killing, that it can feel safe again, that it can go back to being birthdays and school and jobs and even Friday night pizza somehow, and walks with a dad and a three-year-old holding hands. Make that come back, Dad. And go on those walks with Judith. She'll remember them. I love you, Carl. Can you expand on this idea? I think that in most situations, unless our life is directly in danger in that very moment, we have choices. We have choices in how we're going to respond to something. We have choices in how we're going to conduct ourselves. And even if there are decisions that we've made that we're not particularly proud of, we can always choose to act differently next time. And even if there are mistakes that we've made, um, we can always make a choice to be better, to to be uh, to be a good person, to be supportive, to to follow our own moral code. Having our lives be in danger or having our loved ones be in immediate danger can certainly change all that. However, in moments of peace, we can always decide what we want to stand for, who we want to live for, and what kind of person we want to be. This show is so huge and dynamic with so many different characters. And I mean, we can talk, uh, and the comic, everything, uh, we can talk about it for a very long period of time. And I, I definitely want to revisit The Walking Dead again um, on this show. So we're going to go ahead and in this episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm at Shadow Quill, Quill like the feather, on Twitter. And my website is superhero-therapy.com. Take care, everybody.